I'm reading the scripture. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. We are uh, going to continue our sermon series on the book of Galatians. And uh, as we've already said a couple of times, this is my final Sunday as a pastor on the staff of Boylston and Christ the King. And I have always said that if I were ever going to leave this church, then I'd want my last sermon to be on Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Just kidding, that's not true. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of an unusual one to go out on, I'll be honest. Um, our text this morning is, it's a narrative passage. It's a passage about an event that took place a long time ago. And uh, it's just one of those passages that I think we tend not to think too much about. If it comes up in your daily Bible reading, you read it, you acknowledge it, but then you kind of move on to verse 11 and see the rest of the story. Um, but as with all scripture, uh, everything I've ever gotten to preach on, I will say I'm, I'm thankful that I've had the opportunity to slow down and consider this passage this week. Um, because the events that take place here, the events that took place between Paul and the apostles, they actually bring up a topic that I'm really thankful to get to preach on one last time before I go. This is a passage that I think above anything else reminds us that there is nothing more important for us than to know the gospel message and to share it in the world. There's nothing more important for us than to know the gospel and to share it in the world. And so I hope as we study this today, That'll get you excited the way it's gotten me excited this week. And, and not just about the passage, but that it would get you excited about what God has for the future of this church. 
what God is able to do with you as you dwell in this city. And so my points this morning are pretty simple. One, the source of the gospel is God himself. Two, the gospel is a transforming power. And three, the gospel moves forward. So let's get into it. The source of the gospel is God himself. Like I said, this is a narrative account. This is a text where Paul is attempting to set the record straight. He wants to talk about the timeline of events surrounding his history, his conversion, and then also the beginning of his ministry when he started to preach uh, around the Roman Empire. And the reason why Paul is telling us this story is because, like we've mentioned the last couple of weeks, uh, Paul has ministered, or he did minister, in the churches in Galatia for a while. While he was there, he preached the gospel, he raised up disciples, he planted churches. But when he left, false teachers came and they began to lead the people astray. They began to mislead them and, and teach them incorrect doctrines. And apparently, part of that misleading involved spreading some rumors about Paul. Rumors that would diminish his credibility amongst the people so that they might listen more to these other teachers that had come along. And so Paul tells us this story of his conversion and of his interactions with the apostles because he wants people to know two things. He wants them to know first that his message is a message from God, not men. And second, that because this message is from God, it should be trusted and it should be received by faith. So really quickly, let's just look at the details of what he has to say. Uh, last week, when we started, uh, when we read the end of, of chapter 1, Paul gave us a quick account of his conversion. He says in 1.11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous ways, my way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. Paul reminds this audience that, that he was a leader in, the, in Judaism, and that he was determined to wipe out the followers of Jesus. But then, Jesus showed up. While he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus revealed himself, and he recognized that, that Jesus Christ was actually the Lord. And he repented. And then God called this man, Paul, to go forth and preach the good news to the Gentiles, meaning to all the people in, who were not of the Jewish faith. And so that's what he did. And then he tells us that after that event, after about three years, he finally met Peter. And he spent a couple of weeks with Peter then. He also met James, who was Jesus's brother, uh, who was an influential leader in the early church. But it was just that short period of time, just a couple of weeks. And then 14 more years passed. In those 14 years, Paul was preaching. Paul was ministering. And then, only then, did he come back 
and meet with the apostles. That's where our passage picks up today in chapter 2. He says that he received a revelation from God telling him he should go to Jerusalem. And so he grabbed his buddy Barnabas, who was a Jewish convert. And he also took his friend Titus, who was a Gentile convert. And together they took this journey to go and meet the leaders of the church. When they got there, Paul went and he stood before the apostles. Those were the guys that lived life alongside of Jesus during his earthly ministry. They were the people who were leading the early Christian church. And he went there and he presented them exactly what he had been preaching. This message that he has now been preaching for 14 years at this point. Specifically, the message that Jesus had come to bring salvation not only to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles, to anybody who would respond to him in faith. And he says when he presented that to them, they agreed. He says, they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Now, most of you watching this, most of you in this room, you're not preachers. Actually, I guess about 50% of us in this room are preachers since we're doing the live stream. <laughs> but most of you back home are not preachers. And, and it may not strike you the way it strikes me, but this seems like a pretty big miracle to me that one preacher could stand in front of a group of other preachers and at the end of it, they would have nothing to add. At the end of it, they had no way to, to, to tweak it, no, no, no points, right? I remember my, my time in seminary, my preaching classes. I don't think there was ever a more hostile preaching environment than a preaching class. And, and I was a part of that group. But we are out for blood when we're listening to another preacher present his message. We have all kinds of notes to offer at the end, but, but not the apostles, right? It says here that they met this man and it was so clear that he was anointed by God that he was preaching the gospel message that, that when they heard him preach, it was their wholehearted interest to send him with a blessing, with their full support, with their backing. And so that's the basic account. That's what this passage tells us. But really those details are not the most important part. I think what's most important for us to see in this text is the reason why Paul gave us those details. Paul's interest in the book of Galatians is to call people back to their senses. He wants people, he wants to persuade the churches to turn away from this deadly false message of salvation by works and return to the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. He wants people to recognize that we are not saved by our own works. We're not saved by those things that we do to try to make ourselves acceptable, to try to make ourselves look good to God. But we are only saved by Christ's work, by what Christ has done. His work on the cross once for all time where he took our sin and then in return he gave us his righteousness. His righteousness is what makes us look good to God, nothing that's inside of ourselves. It's a gift that can only be received by faith. 
And so he has to play the game a little bit here. He has to take some time to convince this church that, that his reputation is good and that his message is true. But if you read much of Paul, even if you read this passage, you recognize Paul doesn't care about reputations. He doesn't care about the apostles' reputations. He certainly doesn't care about the reputations of the false teachers. He doesn't even care about his own reputation. All he cares about is that people would know Christ and him crucified. And so because of that, he takes a few lines of this letter to correct any misconceptions that they may have had about Paul. And who knows, maybe, maybe they thought that Paul had just learned everything he knew from the apostles. Maybe they thought his teaching was just from other men. Or maybe they thought that Paul didn't have all the facts. That these other teachers who had come along, well, they had heard more of the message than Paul did. And so they, they were more advanced than he was. And maybe they should listen to these other teachers instead because Paul hadn't learned it. But Paul makes it pretty clear. He says, the message that he preaches is true. It is the pure gospel and it was given to him by God, not men. It was given to him by revelation from Jesus Christ. And the point of all this is that the source of the gospel message, for all of us, the source is God himself. It's the only message that has the power to save. So, so that's point one. The source of the gospel is God himself. But secondly, we see here that the gospel is a transforming power. This week, I struggled to write the sermon. I talked to some of you during the week. It just, it was hard to, to get it out. It felt like a lot of pressure preaching my final sermon at a, a church that I helped to plant in a city where I've ministered for my whole adult life. I wrestled with it because I think part of me, I just wanted to say something profound, you know? But as I read through this text, I was reminded again that really the only thing that I or any other pastor has to offer anyone, the only thing that the church has to offer that's of any value is the simple message of Jesus. And so that's what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes. I want to talk about him. I want to encourage you to cling to him, to keep telling others about him this week, next week, in the months and the years to come. It's interesting as you read this passage that verse 7 is stated so matter-of-factly. Paul says that the apostles, when they heard him preaching, recognized that he had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the circumcised. The apostles heard him preach and they recognized that he had been entrusted. That's what we call in English the passive voice. It means someone, right, had entrusted Paul with this task. Well, who was that? Who did the apostles recognize that it was? Well, it was God himself, right? 
God entrusted him with this task of preaching the gospel. The apostles, they recognized that God had given this man the task of reaching the greater world with the message of salvation through Christ. That's pretty incredible. Do you realize that? You realize the last time that most of these guys would have seen Paul was what we read about in the book of Acts. When Stephen, one of the earliest leaders in the church, one of the first deacons, was being brutally murdered by a crowd. It says that Stephen, while they were stoning him, prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, that's Paul, approved of their killing him. But now, they see this man with the gospel in his mouth. They see this man who has been completely transformed by the power of God. And it was obvious to everyone around him. God had saved this man, changed his heart, and given him a mission. Let's talk about that for just a minute. What was it, though, that, that did change Paul? Was it the law that changed Paul? No, right? Of course it wasn't the law. It wasn't the rules. He knew all that stuff already. Paul was an expert in the law. He thought he was following the law even as he was overseeing the murder of Stephen. No. It's not the law that changed him. What changed him was grace. Paul had dedicated his life to the meticulous study of the Hebrew scriptures. He had mastered the law and the prophets. He had a faith where he was anticipating the coming Messiah who would deliver the people of Israel. But when the Messiah came, Paul was so focused on keeping the law that he missed the Messiah completely. That he missed his people. In fact, if you read Acts, as, as God was revealing his plan to rescue the world from their sins through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Paul had been dedicating all of his time and his energy to stop that message from going forward. He persecuted and killed the people of God. And remember, these aren't the kinds of people that, that, that you might be thinking of. These are lowly people that he's against. These are humble people. These are fishermen. They're, they're former prostitutes and, and tax collectors. And here we have this respected, likely affluent religious man who is zealous to see the weak be crushed one by one. And then Jesus appears to him. And he said, why do you persecute me? Can you imagine 
what that would have been like? To think that you are serving God only to have Him show up and directly address you and tell you that you are on the wrong side. Can you imagine what it would be like to realize you have been seeing the world backwards? There's this uh, British sketch show where uh, a couple of guys are in a bunker during World War II fighting for the, the Nazi army. And one guy is looking around at the other people in the bunker, looking at their uniforms, and he says to his friend, have you ever noticed that our hats have skulls on them? Do you think maybe we're the bad guys? <laughs> they look around, they put two and two together, and then they, they come to the conclusion, yeah, oh no, we are the bad guys. And they run off at the end of the sketch. Paul was kind of having a moment like this, right? He was one of the bad guys. And he didn't realize it. But it wasn't a laughing matter, right? It, it, it wasn't a joke because in being on the wrong side and being one of the bad guys, that meant that he was standing opposed to the holy and righteous God. He wasn't the favored leader that he thought he was. He was an enemy. He was approving of the murder of the people God loved. And not only that, he had stood against the message of the Messiah's coming. And now Paul would have known exactly what that meant. Paul knew what he deserved. He had read every word of scripture that talks about the wrath of God against his enemies. He would have expected judgment. But in that moment, we're told this is what he heard instead. Through the mouth of Ananias, Paul is told that you are going to go to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings. He says, you are my chosen instrument. He was chosen by God to share good news to the world. Paul had been shown grace. But it's not that simple kind of polite graciousness that we sometimes encounter in the world that maybe the world expects us to offer. This was a grace that came at an enormous cost. Paul discovered that God, rather than punishing Paul for his crimes, had punished Christ in his place. Paul discovered that God, rather than grabbing him by, a, by the neck and taking him hostage, and he says, look at all the bad things that you have done. Now you owe me. For the rest of your life, you will be my slave and do everything I tell you to do. No, instead, God made him a son. 
He took this enemy and made him his beloved child. And not only that, put him in a position of honor in the church. And that experience, that experience defined everything that Paul ever did or ever said from that moment on. And do you know that that's the same experience that's offered to every one of us. The gospel is transformative. The gospel is the good news, not simply that God will forgive your sins if you ask, but that God will put you by faith in Christ. We're sinners. We are the bad guys. We are on the wrong side. But through Christ, we become the beloved. There's nothing more powerful than that message. So my question to you is when was the last time you really believed it? When was the last time you let that sink in? That if you belong to Christ, God loves you. That God is loving you right now, in this moment, wherever you might be watching this today, God is loving you. He's not standing there bitter and disappointed with you. He's not somewhere far off. He hasn't forgotten that you exist, but he is with you. He is loving you. He is desiring you. The same way that he loves Jesus, he loves you. The same way that Jesus is precious to him, you are precious to him. The other day I went for a walk in Franklin Park, and I was listening to this guided prayer thing that I often listen to, and for whatever reason, at that moment, it just hit me again. And I was stunned by it. And you know what makes that message even more powerful is, is when we realize just how much we don't deserve it. How little we deserve his love, right? At that moment, in, for Paul, on the road to Damascus, he had no doubt in his mind that he had been a fool. That he had lived his life poorly for all the wrong reasons. But God, by his grace, had made him a son. And over the course of his life, the longer he sat in that, the more he learned the truth of that, the more freedom he found, the more transformed he became. And it's the same with us. What kind of sense does it make that God would love a scoundrel like me with all of my failings, with all of my unbelief, with all of my weakness, with all of my sin? 
but he does. And he loves you too. See, the gospel, it's not just a message for beginners. It is the power of God. It is the only hope that we have. It is something that we need to remind ourselves of every day. It's the reason why we are here. The gospel is a transforming power. That's my second point. My third point is simply this. The gospel moves forward. The gospel moves forward. At the end of the passage, it says that after Paul had preached, the apostles, they agreed that Paul and his friends should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Those last verses, that last piece, is something uh, we just can't forget. The gospel does transform. But that's not all it does. The gospel moves out. The gospel moves forward. When the apostles saw that Paul was preaching the gospel powerfully, when they saw that he was able to communicate this truth to the Gentiles, they said, great, now you go to the Gentiles and, and we'll go to the Jews. But notice there that it was a given that they were both going somewhere. That they were all taking this message out because the gospel exists to be proclaimed. Now, it's true. There is a personal aspect to this message, right? It takes our whole life to absorb this truth. It's absolutely necessary for us to sit with it privately on our own, to, to let it sink in, to meditate on it, to let it fill up our hearts and our lives and, and flow out of our homes. But that's not all we do with the gospel. It can't be. Good news is just that. It's good news. It's, it, it's meant to be shared. And I want to challenge you all here on that point because, well, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on to a new mission next week. We are parting for this next season. But my prayer is that as we separate, the mission will not be slowed down, but that it will be multiplied. Folks, you have the gospel. You know it. Now is the time to carry it forward. To take it to this neighborhood. To take it to the city. You guys are sending me off. But the mission will continue here. The mission, mission keeps going here. 
God has entrusted you. Right? The living God, he has entrusted you with this glorious message of his grace for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring salvation to the people around you. The gospel is a message that moves. And I don't know what the future holds for this congregation. I am praying that God will bless the work of this church tremendously in this next season. My heart is with this church more than you can know. But I want to encourage you. I want to urge you. I want to remind you that we have spent so many weeks and, and months and years together studying this message, not so that we could become Bible experts, but it's so that we can spread the message to the world. We are here so the gospel can move out. This church is a mission. It's a mission that started in 1869 when some people put together a Sunday school class that eventually grew in to a church. It's a mission that started in 2013 when a group of, of young people, singles, young families, a few kids were meeting in my living room intent to build a community that could reach out to their neighbors. That mission for people to encounter firsthand this costly grace that God has given, this unfailing love that Jesus offers. That is why we exist. We exist for people to know their Savior. Now look, I know there's a lot of other things that we expect churches to do in this day and age. We want certain classes to be taught. We want certain programs to be offered. We want youth groups. We want a particular kind of childcare. And, and all that stuff is fine. So I know in some ways those things, they support the mission. But it's not what we're here for. The gospel is why we exist. The message that we have is meant to go forth. God, right now, in this day, in this time, in this moment, he is gathering his people to himself. That's the work. That's what we get to be a part of. And there's even this reminder here at the end, did you pick up on it? That those people who God intends to gather, they're not the ones the world expects. They're not in the places the world tries to find them. He picks people like Paul, who were his enemies, to be his friend. He says to remember the poor, 
He picks the lowly. He chooses me and you. He chooses the people of Jamaica Plain and the people of Roxbury. He chooses people from the city of Boston. And he doesn't forget them. He remembers those people and he asks that we would do the same. Paul says here at the end that, that that's the very thing he is eager to do. So what about us? What will we do with this message? Well, here is my simple, I guess it's a, it's a benediction for you as we move out in light of the truth, in light of this truth that God has given us. May God bless this church. May he bless these two missional works that he's brought together over this past year. And may you go forward as a people who have been transformed by grace. May you take this gospel that you have learned and share it with the world. May he use each and every one of you in this next phase. The same way that he used Paul. To bring life. To bring salvation. To the city around you. Let's pray.